Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Have you ever met someone who is so passionate about what they do that it kind of rubs off on you? Well, I had that experience today with Marianne Pelland. She is the head of talent acquisition, strategy, and services for Citizens Bank. She says, in her own words, I have the best job there is. I lead a team of dynamic recruiters and managers who deliver over 6,000 hires annually. She builds people strategies, workforce plans, drives innovation, and delivers efficiency into TA. And she's got a lot to talk about and a lot of great stories and a lot to say about technologies that are helping her do all that. So I think you're going to really enjoy our conversation. Before we get to that, though, just a quick reminder, the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals, or ATAP, and the Recruitment Process Outsourcing Association, RPOA, are my sponsors. In addition to Paradox, thank you so much to my sponsors. And I just want to encourage my listeners, go to where you'll find more information about each of those organizations. You will really be glad you did. It's going to help you do what you do better. So without any further delay, enjoy my conversation with Marianne Pelland. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. I have a terrific guest today, Marianne Pelland of Citizens Bank. She is the head of talent acquisition strategy and services, and we have a lot to talk about, especially someone who's recruiting 6,000 people a year at scale with all kinds of interesting processes and technology. Um, So welcome to the podcast, Marianne. Thank you, Erin. I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, let's get right into it. I love your background. You have been mostly TA uh, for your entire career. And um, I would just love it if you'd tell my listeners kind of, you know, at a high level, how how did you get where you are today? Sure. You know, TA stories are the best ones because there isn't a degree, right? There's no program or school program that you go to to be a recruiter or a talent acquisition specialist. So, these are always like the best questions at a TA get together is how do you, how did you get yeah. into TA? Cause there's always mm-hmm. unique stories. So believe it or not, I have a biology degree. I went to school to be a doctor. I also studied a lot of sociology and ultimately did some research at children's hospital in Boston and met some amazing people um, and some great mentors, but ultimately realized that uh, I didn't want to work in a sub basement. I really enjoyed people. I enjoyed the continuous learning. And so through my network, I learned about a staffing agency and the ability to to help people find jobs within the pharmaceutical and biotech industry um, while still learning all of the different things that pharmaceutical companies had to offer. So that's how I got into recruiting. Um, I never looked back, to be very honest. I love everything about recruiting. Um, I think it's the best job there is out there. So um, I did move from pharmaceutical into financial services. Uh, relatively early in my career and went into corporate pretty early in my career as well. And that is where, uh, for the most part, I have been. So MetLife then came after that. Now you've been East Coast your entire career, always in Massachusetts? Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Citizens actually, yep, is corporately headquartered in Rhode Island, but I am situated close to the Rhode Island border. So I have um, been in the Boston market and the Rhode Island market uh, for most of my career. Mm-hmm. Great. And uh, yet you don't have a super strong Boston accent. So why? I try very hard, Erin. <laughs> you know, I keep focused on the R's. I try to say them every once in a while. It will come out. And, um, you know, I, and even at work, they make fun of me. So it will definitely happen. I promise by the end of this, <laughs> it gets the best of me. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I've got a Minnesota accent. It comes out defi- <laughs> definitely uh, if I talk long enough. So cool. So you have been now at Citizen Bank almost 17 years. That's oh a my. long, long time to spend <laughs> somewhere, but clearly you have risen through the ranks. And I think actually prior to your current role, you were an uh, HR business partner as well. So t- tell us about the expansion of the focus on talent acquisition, at least for that role for a time as an HR business partner. What, what was that about? 
Yeah. Um, so, and I have to um, be really honest. I think this was one of the best career moves I've ever made. It was a lateral move. It wasn't necessarily a promotion, but it has made me the strongest and the best TA professional I could be by being on the other side. And so it was an opportunity for me to work more uh, closely with senior and executive leadership um, in parts of the bank and to really work across the entire people strategy. So the compensation, org design, uh, learning and development, you name it. I was responsible for leading the people strategy for uh, two of the major sales businesses within the organization. Um, it allowed me to work with all of the centers of expertise, not just TA. Um, although TA was my expertise, it allowed me to broaden my, my skills, broaden my network and my partnerships, and more importantly, really understand the drivers of business. And so um, I was very lucky to have that opportunity um, I would have continued in that, but I was asked to come back and lead um, the head of recruiting for the largest segment of our organization, the Consumer Bank. And I did that. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. Again, was it was a great opportunity to work across executive leadership. It was primarily our sales functions within the consumer space. Um, and then about two years ago, I moved into the head of talent acquisition strategy and services. And I think I have found my home. It's a, it's a great, um, great opportunity. Fantastic. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Strategy and services. I can make some assumptions when I think about what that includes, but why don't you clarify? Tell, tell us what is in each of those buckets. Sure. Um, it's a it's a fancy title, uh, but what does it mean, right? And so it, for me, I'm responsible for the TA operations. That includes our centralized model for our administrative support. Um, it's responsible for our flex staffing, which is our contractor program, um, which, as you can imagine, is continuing to grow as we talk more and more about gig economy. It's our TA strategy, data and technology. It's our employer brand marketing, our compliance. Um, our internal mobility program, and our program and project management. I like to think, you know, the recruiters are the heart of what we do. You know, they're the relationship business. They are the ones talking to candidates every day and the hiring managers and making sure we're bringing the best people into, into our organization so that everybody can thrive. My role and my group's role, my team's role, is the brains behind the operation. How do we drive the most efficient, effective program within TA and within Citizens HR to drive and help support them do that. So then you've got a team of people who, sh should I envision that they are managing all the metrics and the measurement, as well as the technology decisions and implementation? You got it. Um, and we work, we work with our HR tech teams, our business partners, our HR analytics team. So I know I'm a bit biased, but I have a fantastic employer brand marketing team who is responsible for the enterprise brand and uh, you know filling the top half of the funnel of attraction and engagement i have an internal mobility team like no other whose job is to make sure that we're always putting our colleagues first um, and looking for opportunities to continue to move them throughout the organization all our technology programs and projects our candidate experience sits within our group and lots of great work like that, as well as obviously our compliance and operations group, because we can't, you know, we wouldn't be able to do what we need to do without them. And so they drive great efficiency. They use automation and robotics, you know, to drive a very efficient, fast um, process, because as you know, uh, with anything recruiting, speed is critical and important yeah. and can be the killer of all deals. So yeah. um, we look for ways to do that. That's really true. Okay, so then we have to talk technology. So what are some of your favorite technologies that you have already implemented or that you're planning to implement to affect all that that you just mentioned? I, I, I mean, this is such a cool space to be in, especially, you know, in the past couple of years, uh, technology just has really infiltrated the HR space and especially TA. And we've been really fortunate to have an organization that prioritizes innovation and advancing, you know, the technology and digitalization agenda. So um, we have been fortunate. We've put, we actually just won a BAI Innovation Award for Human Capital 
around uh, Paradox, our AI chat. Oh, assistant. cool. Yeah, okay. they, they call her Olivia. Nice. We call her Jamie. Um, okay. That's her twin Good. sister. Um, but she talks with our candidates and answers questions regarding the process and what to expect. She helps candidates find jobs, you know, schedule interviews. I mean, that is just a time save, as you can imagine. And we also just set her up um, to accept employee referrals. So a process that was very clunky, went into actually a couple of different processes and we weren't able to follow her. We now use Jamie or Paradox um, to accept our referrals. And we just placed her on our internal career site so she can talk to our colleagues about careers as well as hiring managers and preparing them well for the recruiting process. So that would be one I think that we're, we're super proud of at Citizens. We've also implemented personality and skill-based assessments. We use our vendor Outmatch um, for our personality assessments, and we're very happy to have done that because the reality is putting that rigor up in the beginning of the process it's one branded, the candidates, you know, feel good about it. But we found that when we do the best, uh, when we use that tool, excuse me, the best thing is we have found that the best hiring um, or the, the highest scores are producing two times more than other colleagues. So mm-hmm. it has been a great tool that we have implemented as well. Wow. Terrific. And Outmatch, uh, as you just mentioned, I think their thing, if I'm not mistaken, is candidate-driven process or a a candidate-driven process, right? So they've kind of acquired a bunch of technologies and put them together to provide this candidate-driven thing. Are you fully utilizing it or are you just using parts of it? So we're using parts of them now. We use their personality assessments. We're actually have been using them for several years now um, Mm. and it's been great. Um, We're building two more assessments um, with Outmatch. We've also used their video interviewing platform. We piloted that in our campus space. We're now expanding that as well. And we continue to work with Outmatch to see what potential other opportunities are. Back to Jamie. Why Jamie for your your Paradox uh, conversational AI? You know, we just found um, that Aaron and the members of uh, Paradox just understood recruiting. There was lots of opportunity to continue to, you know, to to customize, to build with them. Um, but also it was a proven, it was a proven product with them. So I, I preferred working with him because I thought, uh, or them, because I thought the work was really good. Um, so much so, I think we were right in that. We got the award, but I think Paradox, um, because of the AI chat, it allowed our recruiters to focus on, you know, the later down the funnel work versus the front end communication that may or may not result in applications or hires. So it allowed us to, you know, to drive some efficiency, but improve our candidate experience, which is, uh, you know, one of the top priorities for our organization. Yeah, for sure. And the thing about the candidate candidate experience, right, the whole candy thing, I mean, there's a couple of things that have come out of that research, but one of them is people just want feedback. They understand they might not be qualified, but for heaven's sakes, tell them. And this is what I love about conversational AI and um, technologies that automate that for you is that you can just literally give them feedback as soon as they input the information, right? So, yeah. And, you know, it's, you're absolutely right. You know, so much of our work um, and one of our priorities has been candidate experience and what candidates want aren't really that hard, Right. In terms of they want, you know, communication, they want you to deliver on what you told them they would, you know, they would like the process to move quickly. Mm-hmm. And so in an effort to deliver on that, uh, that's tools that we're looking to use, you know, right. Paradox allows us to schedule much more quickly. It goes from, you know, 72 hours to, you know, the back and forth emails or phone calls to a 30 minute process for someone to pick the available times. You know, it's it's time saved for the TA function, but it's a much better experience um, for candidates where they can choose what works best for them. Good. And and OK, so then back to Outmatch, you're using it for personality uh, assessments and then you're building two more assessments. Anything else? Oh, you said video interviewing? Yeah, they're video interviewing. Some other technology we've used is we have a video branding platform. Our EBM team um, has a great partnership with Altru. 
which I believe just got acquired by iSIMS. Not that I'm particularly, I'm not a commercial for anyone, but they are just phenomenal too. And, And this allows our candidates to get a sense of like we put it as part of our job description so they can learn about the role and they can determine if this is something they want to do or not. They can learn about our culture and they can hear from our very own colleagues. So it's not, you know, a branded, you know, messaging. It's really hearing it from the voice of our colleagues, which brings a lot of authenticity yeah. to what they're hearing. So especially in a time when we have been more remote and our recruiting processes have, you know, been much more virtual. The videos have allowed to have some more authenticity and more of that personalization um, that people are craving. Right. Okay. And uh, I took a look at your jobs.citizensbank.com, actually, just to kind of have a little mobile experience and see what that looks like. And I noticed something I haven't really seen before, um, the Job Seeker Resource Center which I thought was pretty darn cool. Now, it wasn't, as far as I could tell, it was not specific to Citizens Bank. It wasn't telling them what to expect from your process. It was more helping them prepare in general for a career search and some tips and tricks and fixing their LinkedIn profile. Is is that right? Is that the intention? It is. That is, that is our commitment to our candidates. Um, we call it the candidate promise, but it's our effort to inform and prepare our candidates, whether it's for citizens or whether it's for their own next career search, we want to be there for people in general, where citizens believes in its candidates, its customers, and its community. And so in an effort to be there for our candidates and prepare them, whether that happens to be and hopefully gets to be with citizens, we want them to have the resources they need um, to advance to their next opportunity. So we call it our candidate toolkit internally. Um, it's a resource center for, you know, for candidates in general. We also have one on our internal career page for our colleagues, hmm. and it's much more focused on how do you move within an organization. And my team's probably tired of hearing me say it, but you know, an internal move doesn't start at the search bar. You know, it starts in your current role. So um, we talk about you know how to network, how to perform in your role today you know, how to take on that assignment that maybe not everyone else wants and shine. But we we believe in getting people informed. We're a learning organization. A lot of um, the work we do is surrounded by information and education. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's our commitment. Wow. Terrific. I, I love that, that it's um, sort of a community service in addition to hopefully preparing people to do well in your own process. Erin, that was one of the things that candidates say too, is right. They don't know what the next step is in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you would find in that resource center, a timeline or expectations um, so that people could start to understand what to expect next. Mm -hmm. You know, every um, business line may have a slight difference to what it is, but generally what people can expect in the general timelines, because I think that's something that that candidates um, traditionally are looking for. Can you tell us more about the organization structure of the TA team at Citizens and how, how's that organized? And, you know, especially in terms of uh, not necessarily the business alignment with, with the business to recruit for it, but, you know, kind of your corporate structure in terms of how TA is handled. It, a great question. And it's, it's also another question that I traditionally ask um, when I'm networking with, with other TA professionals, because mm-hmm. There are so many varieties of, of how TA is structured. So here at Citizens, we're a centralized function. We are a center of expertise. Mm-hmm. We are um, a standalone. The head of TA reports to uh, the chief HR officer. Um, she's in, we work heavily in partnership with our head of development. But in some cases, uh, lots of times I talk to people and TA falls within within talent or within development, and that's not the case here at Citizens. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are a COE. Within TA, um, we're split by major business functions, and then we have our programs um, that sit outside of that in executive space. Interesting. So you have some in-house executive recruiters then? Or we do. do use vendors? We do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we do work in partnership with executive search firms um, in some cases, um, but we do have an executive recruiting group within our organization, which has minimized um, agency fees quite a bit. Mm-hmm. 
but they'll, you know, they're still um, an important part of our, uh, our program. But um, we have an executive sourcer and we have two executive uh, recruiters. Very interesting. And then those vendor relationships, would that fall under your strategy group as well in terms of uh, the, the MSA, the, the contracts, those sort of things? Yes. So the the vendor management um, and the relationships that we have, not only with executive search firms, but we have an employer branding organization, uh, what's now called Radency, that we work with. TAPFIN is our flex staffing program. So all of those fall. We work in partnership with our procurement and sourcing group, but um, they do fall within my remit. Okay. I'm kind of intrigued by this TAPFIN Flex staffing, you mentioned it earlier in conjunction with the gig economy. So has Citizens Bank solved that conundrum of the fact that sometimes you just need a little bit of somebody <laughs> and you don't want to commit to them uh, for, you know, a part-time or full-time? Yeah, that I, I wish I could say yes. Um, are we actively working on it? For sure. Mm-hmm. But I wish I had the, the silver bullet. I don't, unfortunately. Um, our flex staffing team is our contractor. So it's instead of FTE, it's the temporary resource that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have uh, started to create our talent pools in which, you know, we can dive into for whether that's, you know, projects or, or part-time opportunities, but we're still in our infancy in our ability to, to get to that gig or program or project efforts uh, that I think we're all trying to get to and try to figure out. I feel confident that we've got the right people working on it and we'll get there, but we're not quite there yet. I have a little bit of experience in banking hiring. When I led an RPO, we had a large bank as a client. And so I remember the uh, challenge of the high turn. So, and what what we experienced was um, that it's very similar to retail in some cases, especially in the, the branch bank locations that there's it's just mm-hmm. a lot of roles that need to be filled over and over and over again. And so That's right. do you feel like Citizens Bank has a solution to that? <laughs> really, uh, really good question. So we have, you know, we have the gamut. We have our high tech roles, our data roles, our agile and scrum masters, our finance and our HR colleagues. But we have a significant amount of hiring also in our high volume spaces, right? We have our retail branches, which are across our, our footprint. We have contact centers. We have our operations centers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a great team of recruiters and, and leaders to help support and drive the recruiting around that. Um, we have effort around internal mobility. We have efforts around referrals. But, you know, I think the marketplace right now, where we are today, is a unique one. It's one of the things I love about TA is, you know, if you just sit for one second, it will change on you, right? The market conditions. And if we think about where we were just a year ago, looking for tech talent was the hardest, most challenging thing. It's still not a, a walk in the park, right? But what's probably the thing that's weighing on us most right now is the non-exempt hiring um, and the impact that COVID has had on that talent pool and our ability to attract enough talent, you know, to keep things moving and to face off with our customers. So we are literally on calls regularly strategizing on the best way to attract talent, you know, whether that's through sourcing and, and looking and hunting for that talent which traditionally is, isn't needed or necessary in non-exempt roles. Mm-hmm. And also in, you know, upping our branding efforts, which again, traditionally you haven't had to do. So we're, we've been successful. We are filling, you know, what we need to right now, but it is harder um, than it ever has been. Oh, I, can imagine. I think that yeah. might be, you know, for the time being might be the norm. Yeah. And, and is part of that just the uh, people don't want to go into a workplace and those roles are typically very much on premise? You know, I think it's a lot of things. I do think health plays a big part of it. Sure. People are concerned about COVID and the face to face with different you know, customers is a concern. And I think that's a fair concern. Uh-huh. I think women and underrepresented talent has been impacted significantly through COVID. 
And those demands that have pulled them out of the workforce are still happening, whether it's child care or elder care. Uh, those, those things are still real mm-hmm. and still impactful. And I think, you know, it's, it's given people an opportunity to really reflect on what's next for them. Right. And I think we've all done that is, you know, this has been a, a, a wake up call in some senses of, am I doing the things I want to do? Life is short. We don't know what's happening. Is this the career that I want to do? And so I think people are, are really thinking that through. And so people are either choosing, you know, completely new career paths or, you know, career paths that take them out of the customer interaction so I think I don't think there's one answer or one problem that we have to solve, which I think is what makes that so complex and so challenging. Yeah, I, I that's a really excellent point that it is a multiplicity of factors. So you can't mm-hmm. really nail it down and solve one of them and think that it's going to create all kinds of supply. It was interesting last week the uh, jobless claims. Then you know, of course, the the, the metrics that are measured on a federal basis. In the U.S. anyway, uh, you know, they were talking about how they were expecting a million new jobs to have been created in the month of April. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it ended up being 200,000. It was sort right. of the, the big wake up call. And I just wonder if, and of course, the speculation is people are getting paid to stay home right now in right. some cases. Of course, they're not getting rich off of it, but they literally have some incoming money such that it is maybe less motivating for them to go out and take the risk you know, of being in the workplace. So do you think that's a factor for for those roles for you as well? I do. You know, we've all had, you know, the neighbor or the son of a friend, you know, who is making more um, staying home than they are going back to work. Do I think that's the sole problem? No, I don't. Do I think that's everyone? I don't. Mm -hmm. But do I think it's a factor? I Yes, I do. Okay. I think... Ultimately, there are several different factors, and I think those that extra support works for those people who, for health reasons, need to stay home and need the resources to be able to do that. But, you know, like our, our previous question is, I just think it's a multitude of factors, and so there's no easy answer to the, to the problem. But I, I, think, I think there's some legitimacy to that, to that argument for sure. And I think we've seen now nine states are, you know, rejecting the unemployment benefits. Hmm. So because of that concern. So it'll be interesting to watch to see how if other states join. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that citizens really prioritizes investment in innovation. So mm-hmm. what I love about that is, you know, you're not going to waste a good crisis. You're going to innovate, right? You're going <laughs> to put things around it. <laughs> And uh, does that mean that you get a nice big budget to spend too? Is there money for that mouth? No, <laughs> oh, no. I don't think there's there's anyone post you know pandemic that this has oodles and oodles of money <laughs> just had to, ask. Um, <laughs> to work with. But I think citizens has has been very smart about you know how it innovates. You know, it looks at ways to rethink or redo the way things were done or just look at, you know, really what is the need of our customers? At the end of the day, the customer is at the heart of everything we do. Mm-hmm. I look at it from a TA perspective that our customers or our candidates are our customers, right? They're either our customers today or potential customers tomorrow. So we have in every interaction within TA, we have an opportunity to gain someone or lose someone not only as a candidate, but as a customer of ours. And so it's, you know, from a TA perspective, we look to innovate by thinking of our candidates as customers. What do they need? What do they expect from us? How do we, you know, I'm a, I love the what time is a three o'clock parade philosophy where, you know, understand what's what's behind the question that people want, right? Is to really understand what is the desires and the needs of the customers or the candidates that we have and then solving for it before they even know they have it. Wait, I don't know if I know what you mean. What time is the three o'clock parade? Is that it? Yes, it's a Disney. It's a Disney thing. (gasps) Yeah, so one of the 
Say more. I don't know. If okay. Yeah. So one of the questions that many Disney talent get when they're out in the park is what time is a three o'clock parade? And so you could answer that and say three o'clock, three o'clock, <laughs> right? But that's not okay. what people are asking. What they're asking is I'm standing here. I know the parade starts at three. When will I see it? Mm-hmm. Or where is the best vantage point to get it? Or my daughter who's dressed like Minnie Mouse, where is the best place for her to see Minnie? Will Minnie stop here? Or I like, you know, jazz music. And so the jazz band is going to stop at, you know, at this point. So it's really thinking and understanding the real desires and needs of the people, even behind the the feedback you get, right? Like it's the feedback really, they want to know what time the three o'clock parade is, or is it that they really want to understand what's the best opportunity for them to see the parade? And so we look at that as part of our you know, philosophy, at least in, in, in my team, to understand how do we deliver what our candidates want in time for when they want it. Wow. So how do you determine what those questions and answers are? So we do an awful lot of surveys, um, our candidate survey. So we look at our candidate experience um, in three different ways. Um, and we look at it from an outside perspective as an expert, right? So Candy, um, we work with them to understand how people are feeling. Uh, and, and from our candidate experience, we look at Glassdoor and how people are responding both from our colleague base and from um, past employees. And then we have a colleague survey in which we ask along the journey. So not at hire, right? Because shockingly, when you ask people at hire how they felt, 98% of them feel pretty good, right? But there, what about all of those people who are in the process in the meantime that didn't get to that place? And so we ask surveys along the different path of the recruiting process to understand their experience and what went well and what didn't. And then we have those opportunities to reward and recognize the teams that have done it really incredibly well. Um, Regularly, we get lots of praise for, hey, I know I didn't get the job. The time you spent with me to understand what I would need to do next was, you know, second to none. I hope I get the next one. And then it also gives us the opportunity to coach both the hiring managers, because sometimes the problem is there, or to coach our TA team to say, hey, you know what, we might want to think about delivering that way. And then we look for trends. And so if we see those trends, then we know, okay, maybe Jamie can fix something, or maybe there's just a new way to communicate, or maybe we need to automate a process because it's broken. And so it allows us that opportunity to really use data to help inform us through the voice of the customer or the candidate um, to ultimately make the right decisions that are going to positively impact our ability to attract the best talent for citizens. Right. I love that you interjected into there that Jamie could fix something. But first, you have to understand what the what the ask is. What's the the problem or the misunderstanding? And that's the beauty of AI, right? It can learn right. and grow, and you can program it to anticipate. Wow, love that. So, kind of an exciting development. I have a new sponsor. Big Fish in the Talent Pool podcast is brought to you this month by our buddies at Paradox, makers of the conversational AI assistant Olivia, that I know you've heard of. And joining me today is Paradox Chief Marketing Officer Josh Swain. Hey, Josh. Hey there. Tell my listeners a little bit more about this Olivia character. I've been a fan for a long time, but not everybody knows about her. So, what, how would you describe Olivia and the benefits she brings? Yeah, sure. Like, I think the easiest way to think about her is like uh, the assistant that we have in our pocket every day. We have Siri, we have Alexa in our homes, and those assistants are are there to help us get things done, whether it's turn lights on or change the temperature or whatever. Olivia is just an assistant for recruiters and recruiting teams and candidates. Um, So if you think about all the the stuff in the recruiting process that nobody really enjoys, you know, whether it's screening resumes or scheduling interviews or, you know, just making sure that candidates are up to speed on what's going on. Olivia can play a a really important role there. And she's helping uh, companies like Unilever and CVS Health and McDonald's kind of up and down the, the recruiting chain, get that work done. Wow. Very cool. 
Sounds like I need my own Olivia, actually. So how can our listeners learn more? Sure. Yeah. The easiest way is just to go to our website, paradox.ai. But we actually built a, a little custom experience for your listeners too. So if anybody wants to try Olivia out and, and meet her for themselves, they can text big fish, all one word to 25,000 on their smartphone and Olivia will respond and you can, you can get a sense of what she can do. All right, Josh. I am so excited for that. And uh, thanks very much for your partnership. And we'll talk to you next week. Of course, Aaron. Thank you. Speaking of data, though, you you said, uh, you know, use data-driven decision-making. So uh, what's the most important thing you measure from Mm. your TA metrics? What what do you think gives you the best idea of how it's all going? Yeah. So, wow, that's that's such a great question. Um, And we measure a lot. We like data here. (laughs) So we have built Tableau dashboards um, that provide insight. Um, So it's not only data but it looks at the data and provides particular insight. So we look at candidate experience. Mm-hmm. As, as I've mentioned, that is, is very important. Mm-hmm. We look at capacity. How are recruiters doing? We, you know, where are they getting hung up? How can we help? Is there, does there need to be better distribution of work? You know, we have biweekly meetings to talk about that. Because you can't, you know, there has to be a dynamic team, right? That you're never going to have a perfect distribution if you just let it go. So um, we look to help and to also understand if we need to bring additional um, support in. We look at time to fill. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we look at internal mobility. We look at where the sources of talent are coming from. We have an entire employee brand marketing um, scorecard to make sure that every investment we're making is, you know, is working um, so that we use our money wisely. And then uh, we look at diversity. Diversity is also another critical one. We want to continue to grow underrepresented talent into our leadership roles. And so we have a commitment that we've made to improve that. And so we are constantly monitoring that we are bringing in diverse talent as part of the interview slate so that we can improve and increase our our hiring of underrepresented talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, are you measuring more in the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion space? I know some teams are, you know, used to measuring who got the job and what's their background, but uh, I'm seeing more and more who are interested in measuring all along the process and seeing where the fallout is, especially for the people people of color and people with different backgrounds. So, what what, what all are you measuring right now that you think is is important to know uh, about the diversity pipeline? Yeah, it's it's all of that. It's looking from the beginning of the funnel to the end of the funnel and understanding what's happening along the way. Where is the fall off? Where are you know where are we doing well? And then looking at where the fall off is and if it's out of line, what what could possibly be happening there that we need to review and dissect and evaluate and ultimately change it if that's necessary. We also have a diversity scorecard um, for leaders mm-hmm. that we hold them accountable to because we believe what gets, you know, what gets done gets measured or what gets measured gets done, I guess, is is the more appropriate way of saying it. So we look at ways of how we continue to improve in that space. So we look at it from a process standpoint. We look at it from a distribution standpoint and, and ultimately an engagement and satisfaction standpoint as well. Sounds very comprehensive. And, and I love the shared accountability mm-hmm. because that's when things get done. RPO, we haven't really talked about that. Is that a part of the strategy for fulfillment ever? Or has it been in the past? What What's your view on that? Yeah, it has in the past. Um, we just haven't found the right place yet. We've looked at it in our high volume spaces. And that ultimately hasn't just hasn't come to fruition. We've ended up bringing it in house for the same dollar amount um, and, and better results. So we do things like one of for our recruiting team, you know, when things spike like they are now, we have an on-demand, you know, RPO type system where we can put a request in and we get a recruiter in, you know, within a week's time where they can kind of hit the the, the ground running. So mm. we actually use it within our own space, um, less so 
in the organization. Interesting. Okay. So sorry, you RPO your recruiter recruitment? (laughs) To a degree, just when we supplement. So we have a baseline of recruiters um, that traditionally fit our, you know, our demands. Um, But like, you know, in TA, um, you get that surprise, hey, we need to hire a hundred of, you know, X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. in the next three weeks and everyone is at full capacity. And so we have, uh, as part of our TAPFIN flex model, um, we have an on-demand partnership with them in which we can call them and they have a Rolodex. I don't, I don't know what they have. They have magic. Um, and they bring, um, they are able to get our sourcers or RCOs or recruiters that help to supplement you know, the current staff that we have so that we don't have the downtime. As you know, if you hire a contractor or you have to fill an open role, that takes time. Yeah. Um, and traditionally, I, you know, I haven't seen anything within TA rarely that, you know, isn't, has to happen right now. It's urgent. We need to get it done. Right. Um, and so time is, again, an enemy of all deals. So this is a, allows us to get great talent in very quickly to help us with the recruiting efforts. Okay. Very interesting. And um, I don't know if we said it within the conversation earlier or not, but 6,000 is the number you're hiring every year, right? That's correct. Correct. Okay. And that's consistent. It was also the case during the pandemic or was there a dip? There was a dip, um, but not significant. And, And forgive me, I don't have the number on the top of my head, but we did, we did drop to some degree but I, I think um, one of the most things I'm proud of as a as a member of this organization is you can imagine, right, our branch colleagues got a le- lot less traffic and, and they were potentially impacted by, you know, the volume of work that they had to do. But our, our call center got tons of calls, right? So those people who were going into the branches weren't going to the branches, but they still had their banking needs that they had. Mm-hmm. And so they were calling into our call centers, which ultimately had a much higher need or demand uh, for talent. And so, you know, I can't take any credit for this, but as an organization, we mobilized and we took the talent that was impacted in the front facing because that job had changed and moved them into the back, you know, the back office and the phone-based system so that we could continue ultimately, again, the customers are at the heart of everything we do. We didn't want to impact you know, everyone was already stressed. They were in, and money is always very important to people. And so we didn't want to negatively impact that opportunity. So as an organization, we mobilized talent as we saw fit where people were still able to work. We were able to save jobs. We were able to get people where they needed to be while, you know, while um, delivering ultimately for our customer, which is what we want to do. Wow. I love that. And so really no layoffs or very few? No. Uh, so there there were, you know, there were impacts regardless mm-hmm. um, that were planned. Um, we are going through a digital transformation, an agile transformation. And, you know, I think any industry who is, you know, dynamic and changing will see that some skills become less needed while other skills grow. Mm-hmm. And as an organization, you can't just keep throwing money at it, right? You have to be thoughtful about the dynamics of the organization. And so where I think Citizens has done a great job and our development team gets lots of kudos for this is we've built academies to help people transfer skills they have today, to the skills that we need. Um, so those skills that are no longer needed, they can learn new skills and they can mobilize into different opportunities within the organization. And I would say our internal mobility efforts, um, we have a, I have a team um, that focuses on that and their job is to ultimately move talent throughout the organization. And we've seen an increase. We saw an increase as part of COVID, right? Because less people were moving, but we still had opportunities. And so we saw an increase in internal mobility, but the momentum has remained and so part of that's through the academies. Part of that is through, we do lots of education around the different business lines and the different roles within the organization. Business lines commit to internal hiring and we move people within the organization. Wow. That's, that's just terrific. You know, I think it's a microcosm of what we know we need to do on a national basis, and that is retrain people. 
That's right. Give them new skills and give them new opportunities. And if they can stay with the same organization and get new skills, wow, that's just so smart. The cost of switching for everybody is reduced. I, I, I love that. Okay, well, we have been talking a lot about citizens. I told you at the beginning that it was really going to be more about your career than it was about citizens. But I have to say, you're doing so much cool stuff that I, I just had to dig deep. So thank you for, for all that good info. I would now just like to turn it over to your view of your career as somebody who's you know been doing what you've been doing for 20 years. As you look back, any wishes, regrets, thoughts of things you would do differently? I know this is very existential, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you're worthy. So what, what, do you, what do you think about when you're, you know, like when we used to travel and you'd be sitting on an airplane and you weren't on a conference call and you thought about your career, what, what do you think? How's it gone? You know, I am, I am always grateful for the opportunities that I've had and the lessons that I've learned. You know, I think in every opportunity, good or bad, you have you should at least reflect and think about what did you gain from it? And sometimes that gain is what not to do again, right? right. <laughs> and some of it is, wow, I'm really glad I pushed myself to, you know, to do something hard or that I was scared to do. So I think probably the biggest lesson I've learned is I always thought there was like the secret sauce or the secret that I wasn't aware of younger in my in my career that, you know, the people at the top or the leaders had something and I didn't know what it was. And really at the end of the day, you are as smart and as capable and as amazing as they are. But what I've noticed is there's a confidence. Hmm. And so I would probably, when I reflect, I would wish I believed that I was as worthy earlier in my career and that what I had to say was as equally important as what everyone else had to say around the table and that age doesn't play a role in that. And so, and I think, you know, I, I may not be the most popular thing to say, but I do think as a woman that is probably shows itself more necessary, you know, at least it did in, in my case. So that would probably be one of the things I I've learned. The other is, you know, and this one is more recent is, you know, go slow to go fast. Hmm. I have a high threshold of work and to get things done. I love progress. I love evolution. I, I, I think TA is just a fantastic place to be because of how dynamic it is. Yeah. It's a great laboratory, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's never stagnant. It's never the same. There's always something different to evaluate or consider. But you can go too fast without, you know, slowing down and considering, have I brought everybody along that I should, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to meet people where they are in their understanding journey to help them understand why change is necessary or why we're doing it. So that go slow to go fast, I think, is 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 something that's really important. And then there was something you and I had talked about, and it's being authentic. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody is unique, and that's what makes you special. And so you can do you, <laughs> and you can still be successful by being the person that you are. And so I think that sometimes we try to fit a mold of something um, that we think other people want, and in reality you should really, you're only your, you're your best when you're you. And so I think those are probably the lessons that I've learned the most in my career. You know, I have, I have rules of success that I follow. You know, I put myself in the shoes of the people that I'm presenting to, mm -hmm. you know, or I consider, you know, before I go in, I'm always thinking about what concerns might people have, what challenges would they have? So I can have, be the most prepared. I can anticipate what the expectations are. I always, always follow through on my commitments. If I've said I'm going to do something, I do it. But I, I think those are, that's probably what I've learned the most. And the last thing I would say is work-life balance was a long lesson for me to learn. Mm -hmm. um, just recently, um, I've got this new mentor who's really helped me with, with recognizing the benefit of stepping away and that, and the importance of work-life balance. So Wow. 
and so you you you're saying it's been a lifetime of learning that. So you feel yes. like you got it? You got that one now? No, is that no. right? I mean, I'm, I'm I'm really asking honestly. I I mean that's awesome because <laughs> it's um, stuff changes. But I mean, if you feel like you've grasped it and wrestled it to the ground, and you can give yourself the permission, that's incredible. I, I think I've, I'm definitely the furthest I've ever been along. Wow. And you know, you I catch myself, but I give myself the permission now, mm-hmm. and so. You know, my, my, my father always said, you're never going to lay on your deathbed wishing you worked more. Yeah. Um, right. I get a lot of joy out of working and delivering and I love what I do, but I also have lots of other passions and loves in my life, like my cute little kids and my husband mm-hmm. and, and my family. And so, you know, just, it just staying balanced and making sure you're finding joy in all the things that you do. Yeah. I, I love that. And your kids are how old? I I can't believe it. I I have a little boy that just turned 13. I don't know how I have a teenager in my house. Um, I feel like I just had him. Um, my daughter is 11 and my son is nine. So um, they're growing up on me. And I think that might have been one of the wake up calls too, when I started to recognize, you know, they weren't going to stay babies forever. Yeah. Yeah. The work will always be there, but the, that's right. The prime time of, uh, 13, 11, and nine. That's, that goes really, really fast. So, yes. oh, fantastic. I'm so glad to hear that. Good for you. And uh, congratulations on all that you have accomplished and all that you have done at, you know, frankly, you're still pretty early on in your career. You've got 20 years left or more. Thanks, Erin. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, listen, I... <laughs> <laughs> it's possible we're all going to be working till we're 80 at this point. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. But, uh, but thank you so much, Marianne, for your wisdom, for your experience, for the contemporary, cool, laboratory, creative, innovative stuff you're doing. Wow. I cannot wait to see Citizens Bank and you personally uh, a year or two from now. I, I think it's it's going to be really something to behold. So well, thank you. Let's make it a date. Okay. We'll yes. talk. Or we can meet in person. What? A that concept. would be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Thanks, Erin. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.